Revelation 16, if you guys want to turn there in your notes, open your Bibles up and so forth. Um, this is part three here of Revelation 16. Next week, Lord willing, will be part four and we'll, we'll finish the chapter out. Just so much here to consider and, and, and to think on. We've just kind of crawled through this chapter and I think we've been super blessed by it. Uh, the last few weeks, we've looked at those first five bowls of wrath. Uh, remember in these bowls of wrath that these seven angels are pouring out, this is at the, the tail end of the tribulation. Uh, it's setting things up for the literal second coming of Christ. We'll especially see that tonight in the Euphrates River drying up to make way for the kings of the east to head towards the valley of Armageddon, uh, the valley of Jehoshaphat, all the way down through the Dead Sea, down to Basra to, you know, make war against the Lamb and to lose. They're going to lose. Jesus is going to win. So we're going to look at that bowl of wrath tonight and everything that comes with that, really uh, deceiving spirits going forth, deceiving the kings of the world, uh, bringing them together. I really believe, believing on their end that they're going to defeat God. And, you know, it's a phrase I say all the time, that's how stupid sin makes you. And when you get susceptible to demons from your sin, then you are even more uh, a target for deceit. So it will be a especially great time of deceit that will be worldwide. And uh, praise God, though, in this, we get a great exhortation for us today. We know these events are lining up to happen. We know this event in particular is, again, deep in the seventh year tribulation. But we are told tonight to behold, and the Lord reminds us he's coming like a thief. And that absolutely is a reminder of him coming for the church like a thief in the night where we'll be caught up in the air. And praise God, we'll see tonight a blessing. Anyone here like blessings? Can you, if you like a blessing, say amen. amen. That, should be a, that is a hearty amen. We'll see that the Lord says, blessed is he who is watching. Uh, he keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And we'll be talking about that tonight. You know, at a blessing found in looking for the coming of our Lord, being vigilant, you know, walking clothed with the righteousness of Christ, not burying our gifts, not tapping out, but saying, look at onward Christian soldiers, give me oil in my lamp and keep it burning. So we're looking at that tonight. Again, it's the sixth seal. Just quick reminder, remember the first, or excuse me, the, the, the sixth a bowl of wrath. The first one was a bowl poured out on all those with the mark of the beast. And it says that sores broke out upon them that were foul and loathsome. And in that, we really looked at just the false promises of the devil. And it's really the way sin works, where Satan will tempt and offer sin, that you'll be pleasured by it and your life will be better from it. And oftentimes it seems that way initially. And when that mark comes on the scene, and we'll touch on the mark of the beast again tonight a bit, but when that comes on the scene right there at the middle of the tribulation, because remember Satan's cast down on the earth at that time. He knows his time's short. The Antichrist give, is given 42 months or three and a half years to really, you know, go out with an all-out assault, assault and really have even a, a, a heavier place of ruling on the earth. Uh, and that mark's going to be introduced. And again, everyone's going to have to have that to buy or sell. Without that mark, you won't be able to buy or sell. And we've talked about things right now that seem to be leading up 
to that mark. There's a lot of talk right now of a digital currency. There's a lot of ideas floating around right now amongst prophecy teachers and, you know, and others that really believe in the near future, very possibly the American dollar can, could collapse. Um, you know, some of these countries in the East are trying to move back to the gold standard to back their money. Look at if that happens, the American dollar most likely will collapse and not become the global dollar anymore. And it's perfect time to bring in a digital currency that even this current administration is, you know, they're exploring. Look at they they got plans in place and so forth. As soon as there's a digital currency, you know, they're saying with that will come your vaccination records and, you know, at a social credit score and so forth. And think about all that they can do with that. Though it's not the mark of the beast, it will be leading up to that. Think about even the uh, Canadian truckers. They're up there peacefully protesting and the little dictator up there. Uh, and that's what he is. That's not, those aren't even jokes, though it's a joke. He's a joke, but that's what he is. They went and they shut down, they shut down those, many of those truckers' bank accounts. They seized their trucks. They're auctioning those things up. They just shut many of those people's lives down, and none of it's legal. It's all completely wicked. And really what it seems to be is them wanting to be in a place of having power that if you question us, we're going to shut you down. Or if you're going to preach Jesus, we're going to shut you down. Look at we trust in the Lord. We're in God's hands. We don't need to fear these things. If you want to fear something, fear God. You're going to do best fearing God and trusting in the Lord. But again, that mark's going to be introduced, and it's finally going to come to the point where you absolutely have that to buy or sell. Doesn't say anything about trading, but to buy or sell, you absolutely have to have that. And the bulk of the world's going to get that mark. And no doubt they're going to think, hey, we have the means now to be able to, you know what, to move in commerce and work. I really believe, again, that mark is also going to bring some sort of altering to the DNA. Because again, once you get that mark, you can't be saved. You're going to hell. We know we created in the image and likeness of man. We know all the push right now for singularity, emerging a man and machine. We know that with that mark, they also need to worship the image of the beast. And if they don't worship the image of the beast, they're killed. How can you monitor that? Again, remember the image of the beast. He's the, be- the image is given breath to breathe. And it seems that word breath, it's the same word used for unclean spirits and demons in the scripture, that this demon is going to, you know what, take on this image of the beast. And I just have to wonder that when you take on that mark, a demon comes in you as well with the singularity and the worship of the image of the beast is not only the beast, but yourself, because wasn't the original lie in the garden, you shall be gods. Again, a lot of that speculation, but one thing we do know, they're going to get that mark thinking they have victory, but notice again, the first bowl of wrath sores, loathsome sores break open on these people. And we saw how that word sore, sore or loathsome and foul, it's not only just associated with uh, an infection, but it's associated with the demonic. We've heard of a foul spirit. Tonight we'll talk about unclean spirits when we get going here with our text. Again, we're doing a little review and, and you know, it's some new thoughts that I've been thinking about this. But a foul spirit is talked about, an unclean spirit, and that word foul is the word used for that. So it almost seems like with that mark, they're going to get parasites, 
whether that's digital parasites, you know what, from their nanobots, whatever they put into you, if that's part of it, but also parasites with demons because it is a pledge of allegiance to Satan. This is Satanism worldwide. And look, you're going to get a demon if you're, you know what, pledging allegiance to that. And what's going to happen, that infection, that spiritual infection, that physical inspection, infection, and then more so God bringing this angel forth to pour out the bowl of wrath. These sores are going to come on these people that are going to be incredibly painful. And that's how sin is. Sin gives promise of pleasure and prosperity, but it will come in and begin to destroy you from the inside out. It will destroy the soul. Let's remember that when we're being tempted. Let's fear God. To fear God is to depart from the way of evil, to walk in the way of the Lord. And look at when you walk in that way of evil, you don't fear God. You should be fearing something because things are going to come with that. So that's that first bowl. The second and the third are similar. The second is the bowl is poured out on the sea and the seas, the oceans, they all become as the blood of dead men and every living creature in the sea, it perishes and it dies. So this is affecting the food supply that's already been greatly affected at this point of the tribulation. The third angel then pours out his bowl and it gets poured out on the rivers and the streams and they become like blood. And so again, the whole ecosystem is just breaking down and being attacked and so forth the fourth angel then pours out his bowl and the sun is heated up and it says that men are scorched with great fire and again we talked about it last week my thought on that is that they're actually going to get their global warming at that point they're the, you know this this green agenda this whole thing look it's just to push to push out Christianity and to push in a Babylonian system 100%. There's always climate change. The climate all, look at, there was an ice age for goodness sake. The climate's always adjusting. It's always changing and so forth within a reason. God having his hand on us. Look at the sun came up today, didn't it? That's the mercies of God new every morning. Absolutely, God's in control. There's seasons, you know, there's spannings of times and so forth. But right now, again, I, I, Al Gore said like in the 80s that we weren't even supposed to be here by now. These people just make stuff up to push a wicked agenda, but God takes note of those things. Look at, if you dig a hole, you dig a pit for someone else, guess who's going to fall in it? You are. You roll a stone to roll on someone, guess who's eventually that stone going to roll on? It's going to roll on you. And it seems that many of these, you know, judgments that we see unfolding, it, it, it's almost like in a sense... And again, this just was my thought. A lot of these lies being put forth, a lot of the things being put out there in entertainment with, with, with things like, you know, cannibalism and zombies and so forth. These things are going to be manifest in this great tribulation. I mean, when you read about men seeking death and not being able to find it, you know, you're going to have people going to extremes trying to kill themselves and they won't be able to do that. So again, all the more reason to rejoice in the Lord Jesus tonight and have our hearts stirred to get the gospel out to a world that desperately needs him. And then finally, the fifth angel pours out his bowl of wrath. And again, we see once again uh, an effect on all those that are followers of the beast. Again, he promises life, but he brings pain, destruction, and darkness because great darkness, it falls over the beast kingdom. And I don't think that that's just going to be his headquarters. Look, at you take that mark, you are part of his kingdom. And these are supernatural things. 
Look, at very easily, this could be a darkness that just comes upon their person as Paul at one point was dealing with a sorcerer and Paul brought a Holy Spirit-led curse on him and remember darkness came upon him. Elimus, who, who, who was a, a, a sorcerer, a, a, a wizard, so to speak, as he tried to hinder the gospel from going forward. So a great darkness will come upon them and then we come to the sixth bowl being poured out let's read it together here in verse 12 down through verse 16 it says then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river euphrates and its water was dried up so the way of the kings from the east might be prepared and i saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and, uh, and of the whole world to gather them to the battle for that great day of God Almighty. And then notice verse 15. And I just pray I can read it with a prophetic utterance and then we can, you know what, hear it taught with a spirit-led teaching. But notice this is Jesus in the midst of this Jesus puts this forward behold i'm coming as a thief blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame and then notice verse 16 and they gather them together to the place in hebrew uh, in called in hebrew armageddon so very interesting here the river euphrates River Euphrates is mentioned a lot in the scripture. In fact, it's mentioned 25 times in the word of God. That's a lot of times for any location to be mentioned, especially for a river. And I think with the river Euphrates, there's a lot that, you know, it can be considered with it. I think number one, it's a great picture of God's grace, mercy, and long suffering. And the reason I throw that out there is because you read about this river at the very beginning in Genesis 2, in Genesis, you know what, um, 2, 10, 2, 14. And then we're reading about it as well here in Revelation, not just here, but in some other passages we'll refer back to here in a minute. In fact, Revelation 9. And we know there in the Garden of Eden, there were four rivers that came together. Genesis 2, 10 says, Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. And then in verse 14, it says the fourth river is the Euphrates. So this river has been around since the beginning all the way now to the end. I don't think there's a lot of rivers that can be said about. In fact, the other rivers mentioned there, they're a bit of a mystery. But the river Euphrates has absolutely held up. Again, it's a picture of God's grace, mercy, and long-suffering. God being gracious to allow that river, you know, to exist all that time when so easily with all of the geological things and events that have happened, the flood of the earth and so forth, it has continued to be there. And I think it's a reminder to us that we're here tonight only by God's grace, mercy, and his long-suffering. And absolutely, the Lord has not returned yet because he's long-suffering, not wanting any to perish at all, but all to come to know him. We know this river runs through modern-day Iraq. It's where Babylon was. We know that it is a river that really is considered a separation of the east and the west. Because if you look at a map where Iraq is, and you'll see 
Asia, you know, on the one side, for you guys, it would be, let's see, where are we at? Asia over here, the river here, and then down here, you go through Iraq, Syria, and then you're right there to Israel. So it is a type of border. One of the reasons why it's mentioned many times there in the scripture. Again, really, it's man's cradle in the sense of, it seems the Garden of Eden was there in Iraq and Babylon. Some make arguments that was other places. I think scripturally the most sound place for the Garden of Eden is there in Iraq because of we, we knowing where the Euphrates River is. Whatever, it's a mood point. I'm not going to fight with anyone about that. Um, but it will not only be, was only, not only man's cradle, but it's going to be man's grave. Again, so it's a picture of grace, mercy, and long-suffering. In many ways, it's also a picture of God's wrath. And we know God is gracious, God's merciful, God's long-suffering, amen? But we've talked about this throughout Revelation. If you want to shun his mercy, you want to shun his grace, the more you shun his mercy, the more you're going to stockpile the wrath of God. And we've seen that in many pictures here in Revelation. Now, this is again the second time we're reading about this river in Revelation. We read about it earlier in chapter 9, and I just want to really quickly recap that because we read about um, the trumpet jump judgments and it's the sixth angel as well there sounding his trumpet sixth you know trumpet judgment we're at the sixth bowl judgment here and we see four uh, angels that have been bound up they're fallen angels that have been bound up and they're loose to go allow and to direct a great war that takes place that kills a third of mankind so again this is a very important place on the earth with a lot of references to in the scripture early on throughout it and here at the end of the age notice there revelation three nineteen, and, and again this is I, I don't know the exact timeline i would have to think two to four years earlier in the tribulation somewhere in there maybe a little closer you know when you're talking two to four years it's that's not very far apart especially you know what uh, on a bible timeline but notice what it says there and again it's just a foreshadow of worse things to come kind of interesting even like the sea the rivers and so forth we earlier read about a third of those things turning red blood and at the end all of it turning red blood so notice uh 9.13, it says, the sixth angel uh, sounded, and I heard a voice of the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So right now, spiritually, in the spiritual realm, there are four angels that are bound up at the river Euphrates. It says, so the four angels who have been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released, and notice here, to kill a third of mankind. And if you do the math at this point, you know what? Several fractions of mankind has been destroyed, and now you got a third of a fraction of a fraction. How many other fractions sit in there of what's left, and then a third of them being destroyed? Um, Isaiah is very interesting, and we'll get into that probably down the road here in revelation uh, isaiah speaks much about the great tribulation and it says in there i can't remember the exact chapter right now i was just reading the other day but it says that men will be as rare as gold during this time when the wrath of god is being poured out so again 
as the sixth angel sounds, a third of mankind will be killed when, again, already fractions of mankind have been taken out. Men are going to be rare. People are going to get rarer and rarer. And it says, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. And uh, I heard the number of them. And then, you know, there's a peculiar description of the horsemen. And we talked about that. And we see there's 200 million, and a lot of people have associated that with an army out of the east where, you know, you got billions of people in a few of these nations. And they say, well, that's the only nation that could have 200 million men. There's a problem with that, though, in a sense, because there's only 60 million horses in the world. (laughs) And you got 200 million horsemen. And it almost seems that practically, you know, the explanation, though, look, at it's all going to work out perfectly that it seems that perhaps this is going to be a demonic type of army, you know what, that's going to come forth and kill a third of mankind. I don't know exactly. Interesting to think about at the same time. I don't think it's worthy of being dogmatic about it. But these angels will be released. We know that they're bound there now. And it seems that perhaps these are angels that before the flood were part of You know what, the fall, the second fall, you could almost say, where it speaks of angels that left their natural abode, and they came down and they took on human women as wives. And some would say, what in the world? This is craziness. Look, it's talked about all through Scripture. We know God gave a promise that through the seed of woman, the Savior would come. And absolutely, Satan has always tried to cut off that seed in the Old Testament, just like he's trying to cut off Israel nowadays because we know the Lord's going to rule over Israel for a thousand years. And again, everything we're reading about here is revolving around Jerusalem. And so the thought behind this is these angels, and it's spoken much of there in the scriptures, they saw the daughters of men were beautiful. They came down, they fell to a temptation to procreate with them and what came forth from them were giants and the bible speaks about them pre-flood as well as after the flood for a season for a time until finally it seems that you know what they were finally completely cut off but more so it seems they came down to distort that seed if we can distort the seed of mankind then the savior can't come and it seems to bring the best explanation for even the flood why would God reboot everything? Well, very well it could be because of the genetics of man was so messed up. And you know what? Noah's bloodline was pure, so God rebooted to repopulate things. And then he said, I'm going to separate a nation to myself. And part of what that nation did, they would go into these lands and they were called to exterminate these giants. Joshua speaks much about it. You can read a lot about it in the Old Testament. You know, we read about David and Goliath and so forth. And listen, the archaeological record is loaded with these giant individuals. I mean, you can read hundreds of articles in the archives, uh, pictures and so forth. This is very common knowledge if, you know what, you actually just do the research on it. It isn't some tinfoil hat thing or anything like that. But it seems that perhaps these angels bound up there at the rivers Euphrates were part of that fall because we read about those angels being bound up. Notice Jude 6, it says, and the angels who did not keep their proper dominion but left 
their own abode. He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Notice here, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So like Sodom, it says these angels went after a strange flesh. Look, at they participated in sexual immorality, and as a result, they were bound up for the great day of judgment. Well, listen, what we're reading about is part of that great day of judgment. We know, again, the full great day of that judgment is on the literal second coming, but these things all lead up to that. So it very well could be these angels bound up were part of that, because of some fallen angels and demons right now, for the most part, they're not bound up in hell. It's even a false, you know, statement when, oh, you know, all the demons in hell, look at, they're not in hell right now. They don't want to go to hell. They're running about on the earth wanting to create havoc. The day's coming soon when they all will be in hell. Praise God. We know that's the truth. But these angels in particular were bound up. And again, there at the sixth trumpet at the river Euphrates, they're going to be loose. And now here we are at the sixth Again, bowl of wrath, and we read about this great Euphrates, great Euphrates River once again. And it says this time, again, as this bowl is poured out, the water is dried up to make way for the kings of the east. Now, the actual event here on earth, again, this is nothing like the sea becoming blood, the streams becoming blood, boils, darkness, the sun heating up, and perhaps even, you know what, as this happens, those on earth won't even necessarily take note of it personally because it seems like it won't personally affect them at that point, but it's, gonna perf- it's absolutely gonna affect them down the road because it's dried up to make the way for the kings of the east to again cross the Euphrates as it is a border between the east and the west so that they can come through. And where are they headed? They're really headed for three places. Armageddon that we just read about, which is a 20 mile by 14 mile valley. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Also called Megiddo. Also to the valley of Jehoshaphat or the valley of Hinnom, which is uh, right between uh, the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And they'll go all the way down to the Dead Sea Valley to, uh, the, to the city of Basra. And I, I, need, I need to start getting some maps up here and so forth. Um, but they're gonna head there and soon after this, again, there's going to be a war with God. But this drying up, no doubt, this is God's hand doing this. Um, whether he just uses the natural cycle of things or what, this is God drying this up. It's really a miracle of God that comes from this bowl of wrath. But it makes the way for these kings to come, again, in their effort to try to defeat God, to try to destroy Israel and so forth. And I'll give it away, they're going to lose. And they're going to lose because they're kings here on earth, but they're not the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's Jesus Christ. And he absolutely is going to defeat them. We'll get into that here in a second in Revelation 19. And it's also, look at, they're earthly kings. And there's a lot of earthly kings today that are antichrist, even wreaking havoc on mankind today. You look at even many of these wars and so forth. It seems like they're more about the high ups than the common man. And, and the people in these nations just get dragged into it. And that's why, I look at, I'm not just praying for Ukrainians tonight. I'm praying for Russians as well, and I do it unashamedly. I know there's many believers in both of those nations and so forth. And I know most of those people are just in a place where they're subjected to these high-ups 
that seem just to be positioning themselves for a better future for them. I can comment a lot more on that, but I'll stop there. But listen, I know those kings, they're going to reign for a short time. But in Christ Jesus, praise God, we're called kings and priests. And we're going to rule and reign with the Lord forever and ever and ever. So even keep that in mind when you get frustrated about these things or you get angry about these things or even you get confused about these things because, boy, there's a lot of confusion out there. It's hard to know what's true and what's not. But what I do know is true. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm a king and priest in Christ. The day's coming when the kings of the earth are going to gather together to fight the king of kings, the Lord of lords, along with the kings and priests coming back with them. Ten thousands of the saints will come back riding horses, and I know who's going to win. It ain't going to be them. It won't be them. Now, a couple other things here about the east, which is interesting. And it, again, it specifically calls about the kings of the east. Now, We'll see it read in a second where he did the kings of the world gather together, but it seems the kings of the east are are even more highlighted here. And really there there's if if you look at a map, if you do a circle around China, India, you pick up Indonesia, it's very interesting. More people live in that part of the world than all the rest of the world even put together. There's a lot of kings there, a lot of kingdoms there. And sadly in the east there's been just a lot of rebellion there over the years. Look, there's definitely revivals that are happening there. There are many millions of believers in China, India, and so forth. Really, against all odds, the gospels, you know, it broke out there even more in the last, you know, maybe 100 years than any other time in the history of the world. And if you're going to be a believer in those places, most likely you're really born again because there's great consequences with naming the name of Christ. But for the most part, listen, even since the fall of man, the East has so often just been associated with the demonic, demonic practices. And you see the religions that come out of there, Hinduism and Buddhism and so forth. This stuff is just grossly, grossly wicked, where they have millions of gods that they worship and so forth that, you know, bring deception. And the caste system where you just, you know, you got individuals that are so... Uh, you know, looked down upon, and you can go right into the streets of India and, and, and see demonic manifestations and people levitating and so forth. I, I know that from reports. I know that as well. My wife grew up going to India because her grandparents ran, ran the Sai Baba Center. And so I remember the first time even going to her house, she showed me the skull they had in their temple that manifests ash in it. And, and it just would appear and so forth. And the East, look, it has, it's been associated with the demonic so much. And sadly, we're living in a time right now, again, that river Euphrates is going to dry up. These kings of the East are going to come in rebellion against God. But a lot of that Eastern rebellion, it's, it's, it's sunk into the West. In fact, it came in like, like through, through, through a floodgate, really, especially in, in the 60s and so forth. And sadly, it's, it's come right down into the church today. And there's so much of the Christian church that has been infiltrated by Eastern and demonic practices. And so many of these pastors that just fully promote this stuff, either being totally ignorant to it or being a place where they're a wolf promoting it or just being in a place where they're a hireling that says, hey, look, give the people what they want, tickle their ears. So maybe I get a few more people in here on a Sunday morning. Um, but the East 
I'll give you a scripture again, some scriptures that, that come along with this. And then I'll t- talk a little bit more about it infiltrating the church here. Ezekiel eight fifteen, and this is Israel in rebellion. They should be worshiping God. They should be worshiping the Lord. But notice here, Ezekiel's given a vision and he says, have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, you will see greater abominations than these. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house where worship of God should be taking place. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord between the porch and the altar were about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord, notice, and their faces were toward the east and they were worshiping the sun towards the east. The east, man, almost always mentioned in scripture an association of idol worship, demonic worship, sun worship, unbiblical uh, meditations and so forth. And again, it's, in, it's, it's, it's infiltrated the West. Um, there were individuals back uh, about the fourth century. They called themselves the desert monks. And these guys would go out and isolate themselves, you know, from everything to try to draw closer to God. And they came in contact with East, you know, a cleric from the East, Buddhists and so forth that taught them meditate a prayer where you go into a trance and have an experience with God, so to speak, but it's not God you're having an experience with. It's been called contemplative prayer. It was introduced to the Christian church through these guys. Many people practice it for hundreds of years, especially in Roman Catholicism, which is absolutely a group that preaches a false gospel, though there are some Roman Catholics that come through Christ because they read their Bibles and they quit listening to Father Bill, whoever else is peddling the lie. And so, uh, again, a meditative state where you go in, you clear your mind, you do a mantra, which can be, you know, in Hinduism, Om, where you're crying out to the universe, or it can just be even taking a phrase, repeating it over and over again. It loses its meaning. You enter into a meditative state, and then you become subjected to demonic influence. And let me tell you, a good number of false doctrines today that are in the church in the West things that came through the emerging church and so forth, universalism, just a breakdown of sound doctrine, something called, um, you know, a, a deconstructing of the faith is popular today. We're gonna deconstruct Christianity and we can reconstruct it the way we want to. Look at, make no mistake, this isn't just guys thinking about this, this is guys that have opened themselves up to the demonic through these Eastern practices. And you think, oh boy, you know that's happening up in Frisco. No, that's happening right around here where this stuff's practice, where it's promoted by the likes of Beth Moore and Rick Warren and basically named the latest heretic, they promote this stuff. And then you also see, again, evading from the East, yoga. Yes, yoga is Hinduism. Yoga is not of the Lord. No one here should be practicing that without any exceptions. Look at stretching is good for you. Stretch all you want. Deep breaths are good for you. Take deep breaths, they're good for you, especially when you get panicked. Take a deep breath, it's good for you. It gets oxygen in your body. But you can ask any yogi in the world, and they'll say, can you separate Hinduism from yoga? And they'll say, absolutely not. You can't have Hinduism without yoga. You can't have yoga without Hinduism. Because the stance is in that. Look at, they invoke demonic spirits. The idea behind it is opening up your chakra. You have all these points down your spine. 
People get into this stuff. They dabble with demons. They get a euphoric response. Then they get super defensive of it if you question anything about it. Because really, yoga breaks down the body. It's not healthy for you in the long term. But it brings in the demonic. And people get hooked on the demonic just like you would get hooked on the chronic or, you know, the weed or cocaine or meth or whatever it is. It's very, very similar. And listen, it's come into the West, and there are so many churches now that do holy yoga. There's nothing holy about it whatsoever. And if I'm stepping on toes tonight, look at I'm not doing that to offend you, to hurt you. I'm doing that because I care about you. I really do. Look at if the youth group was down there and there were kids practicing holy Ouija board, I would burst in there right now and say, stop what you're doing. If, if they were practicing, you know what, holy tarot cards, stop what you're doing. This stuff's you know what it's it's gotten all into the west it's gotten to the church look at it's put forth in school someone showed me the other day where they're bringing this into their kids classroom like well you need to go down there and be the thorn they're like i am i'm going down there tomorrow you need to tell them look at this is a religion you're bringing this is not of the lord so again just kind of putting that in there the east it dries up the way is made for them to come but there's a greater way truth on the life his name's jesus christ and him we rejoice in and celebrate one other note on all of this, you know what, invasion from the east. We have an incredible amount of resources here. Our bookstore has a lot of books on these things. We have a rack over there on the patio by the wall. Where, I know you know where the coffee's at. It's over there. And there's about 180 pamphlets in there by a ministry called Lighthouse Trails, which we've been blessed by for 15, 20 years, they, they were a ministry that was birthed especially to address this thing, the new age coming into the church, the East coming into the church. And there are so many pamphlets over there about, you know what, contemplative prayer and yoga and so forth. I encourage you tonight, if you're practicing these things, I beg you, do not harden your heart. I'm not up here to pick on people. Look, and I'm pro-exercise. I'm big on exercise. I think everyone should exercise but I do know this. I absolutely know that yoga is rooted in the demonic. I also know this as one that's been into physical fitness my whole life. Yoga in the long term will destroy your body. It will. There's so many other things to be doing. Please heed what I'm saying. I'm not saying this to fight with anyone tonight. I'm not saying this, you know, because, oh, you're trying to get that church down the street that's practicing it, and sadly they are. It is to warn you, to plead with you. God has better things for you. There's other ways to exercise to the glory of God. There is no such thing as Christian yoga, holy yoga. Again, it'd be like saying, we're doing Christian Ouija board tonight. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. You're dabbling with the demonic. So I'll stop there with that, and we, we need to finish this here before us. And I saw three unclean spirits, verse 13, like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. Again, we see this unholy trinity trying to be like God, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet who we were introduced to in chapter 13. Um, and... Satan wanted to be like God, never works out for him. Never works out for men, too, that want to be like God or think they're God. You know, do you believe that to this day there's people running around thinking they're God? I mean, how foolish you got to be. You ain't no God. You're a man. You're a woman. You were made out of clay. You have the breath of life in you from God Almighty. And we need to call upon Christ before we pass because we're sinners and Jesus is the only way to salvation. So, again, this unholy trinity 
And here's one thing about this unholy trinity, the dragon, Satan. Everything that comes out of his mouth is unclean. You need to know that. Everything that comes out. Jesus said of, of him in John uh, 8, 44, there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. And so notice, out of their mouth come unclean spirits or demons. He says they're like frogs. So it doesn't say there are frogs, but they're like frogs. I, look, at, I don't know what that means. All I know is they're like frogs. Do they look like frogs? I, I, I don't know. I'll have a little commentary on that in a second. Well, I'll say this, that I live down by the creek, uh, you know, over beyond the junior high. And it's when it's, you, you don't hear those frogs during the day. Rarely will you hear them in the, during the day. You know, when you hear them, you always hear them at night when it's dark. <laughs> and oftentimes before there's going to be rain, you know what? But at dark is when you hear them. And it's beautiful. It's, it's, you know, it's a symphony unto God Almighty. Let's not villainize frogs because these demons are like frogs. The creation is giving glory to God. But maybe that's the connection here because they're in darkness. And these demons go out, these unclean spirits. They're like frogs coming out of the mouth. Um, frogs, too, can be a little creepy at times, too. So maybe that has something to do with it. Offending uh, all the yoga folks and the frog folks, too. So... But notice they're unclean. They're unclean spirits. It goes back to foul spirits. How many times does Jesus cast out a foul spirit or an unclean spirit that's affecting somebody? But I'll give you a truth tonight. Listen, unclean spirits are always invited by unclean living. Whether you're a believer or not a believer. Non-believers that pursue unclean living, they absolutely open themselves up to unclean spirits. I'm not saying necessarily demon possession but absolutely to be demonized which is really the biblical word possession really is not the biblical word it's to be demonized almost like to have a demon come upon you a demon to influence you look at everyone outside of christ definitely is demonized to a degree but even as a believer in christ jesus the scripture says do not let the sun go down on your anger nor sin lest you give satan what a foothold and tonight, if you're a believer, dabbling in unclean living, making room, you know it, for this, that, or the other that's not of God, again, I can't encourage you enough to lay that down and repent. You need to submit to God in those areas. It's the only way you'll resist the devil. In fact, James 4 tells us, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But if there's things you don't want to submit to God... You absolutely are opening doors for unclean spirits to come in and to influence you, to wreak havoc on your kids, your marriage, and so forth, especially you men here that head up your households. And so unclean spirits, they always come in where there's unclean living because you are even giving them a legal ground to come in, to bring influence, to bring oppression, you know what, to, to get a stronger stronghold and so forth. But again, there is victory and liberty through Jesus Christ. And I'll say this as well. You know what? There's a far difference between wrestling with the sin and then willfully practicing it. Amen? You know what? We're, we're all going to wrestle. Paul said, I do the very thing I hate, the Apostle Paul. So that's one thing. It's another thing, though, to say, I'm not going to submit this to God. I got, my, I got my side sin over here, you know? Jesus is my Lord, and I got my side sin. You open up the door to the demonic absolutely are unclean spirits um, these kings are seduced by these unclean spirits i won't read it but we read in first kings 22 about 
a lying spirit deceiving Ahab, the king of Israel through false prophets. Look at demons are masters of seduction and lying. They're very good at making lies seem true and so forth. You read that from the Garden of the Eden, Eden uh, onward. And again, so many people are influenced by them. Uh, notice 1 Timothy 4.1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says, In latter times some will depart from the faith. Notice, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This even goes back to the invasion from the east upon the church with demonic practices and so forth. Everything from, again, contemplative prayer to holy yoga to, I even heard a while back of Christian tarot cards being used up in Reading. I mean, this is just nonsense. You know, people go out and they do, it's called grave sucking. Look at Bethel Church, Jesus Culture. Maybe you heard of that music. They practice grave sucking where they lay on the grave of a prophet to try to get a double portion of their spirit. They do fire walking where they walk over fire. And look at, they're low, it's just loaded with false prophets and so forth and false teachers. This, that, that stuff used to be in a corner in Christianity. It's everywhere now. It's everywhere now. And again, it's scriptural. It's part of the coming of the Lord, giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrine of demons. So what do we need to do? First John 4, 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out in the world. Yes, is this biblical? Was this practice in the Bible? Do we see Peter, James, and John getting together for a holy yoga session? You don't see it. <laughs> you don't see it. But the Bible does say that bodily exercise profits a little. The Bible talks about boxing, wrestling, running, and so forth. Those things are promoted in Scripture. Those things are put forth, again, as illustrations. But what did Jesus did say? He said, don't use repetitive prayer like who? The pagan does. Repetitive prayer to go into a, 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 a trance in a meditative state where, again, there is going to be demonic influence. Notice verse 14, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world together uh, to gather them to battle of the great day of the Lord. Again, so these leaders, they reject truth and then they're lured away by signs and wonders from these froggy, unclean demons. And look, it's no thing for the demon, a demon to do some tricks. Look at th these demons are familiar spirits as well. They, they know your history and so forth. Look at their intelligent beings. It's very easy for them in a seance to say, oh, Uncle Bob said, remember that time I pulled you on the red wagon? Because they were there when that happened. They're masters of deceit. Again, signs and wonders are very easy for them to manifest, especially when people are wanting them. And let's remember at this time, especially the kings of the world are going to be part of this B system, as I believe many of them already are right now, practicing, you know, at certain different levels of Satanism, and they're going to be lured away by false signs and wonders. Um, notice Jesus said in Matthew 13, 22, false Christs and false prophets will arise, show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Look at it in Christ, you're the elect. Let's not be deceived by false signs and wonders. Are these things scriptural? Are the people teaching these things doctrinally sound? What's their life look like? Because pretty much from all, with all of them, the signs aren't found in the scripture, the doctrines whack, and give it a little time and watch their life be exposed of the levels of immorality and the things they're involved in. 
Look, don't be rolling up here telling me you're a prophet when you're living in a $12 million mansion that you made from being in the ministry. I'm gonna cut you off right there. That, that's not scriptural. God didn't heed all that on you to go, you know what, live like a rapper or, you know, at an NFL wide receiver. That, that wasn't given to you for that. Um, notice, sec- amen, that's right. Quickly here, 2 Thessalonians 2.9, the coming of the lawless one, this antichrist, this beast, is according to the workings of Satan. Notice, with all power, signs, and what? Lying wonders and unrighteous, unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Look at the truth combats deception. The love of the truth. I believe you're here tonight because you love the truth. You could be anywhere. You're here for a Bible study. And for this reason, God will send them, notice, strong delusions. I could go on a 20-minute rant right now on that. This world's delusional. Those NCAA, NCAA swimming meet, that's utter delusion. Uh, you know what? The, the higher institutions of learning saying that's a woman, that's a grown, dude looks like a monster out there. You're offending me. I mean to offend you by that. You need to be, I hope no one is offended by that. Dude, if you are, wake up. You're not even a good feminist if that's you. It's just ridiculous. Strong delusions so they should believe a lie. Um, That they all may be uh, condemned who do not believe the truth. But notice here, this is the key to this. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. And we live in a culture right now that the bulk of it just, it's about having pleasure in unrighteousness. Look, there's pleasure found in righteousness. And it's a, whole, it's a glorious pleasure of walking with God. But they have pleasure in unrighteousness. That, that's what our culture teaches. It's all around us. Um, so again, these false signs and wonders come. It seems that it almost, you know, at this point, maybe it's what these kings need because they're, they're just getting steamrolled by the Lord. And maybe these... Again, this is just a thought. These demons that go out have a particular sign or wonder that brings a confidence to these kings to say, hey, we're gonna gather, this time we're gonna defeat God. Because up to this point, there's been times where these kings and priests, they're under rocks crying out for them to cry out because remember in the tribulation, there's no partiality. It talks about slave to king under rocks crying out and refusing to repent. Maybe even the Euphrates River drying up you know what, these demons, maybe we'll try to take credit for that. Because from the heat up from the sun, no doubt there's gonna be some melting of the Arctic and it seems like the Euphrates would flood. Now maybe it dries up from, you know what, the Lord intervening with this wrath. I don't know, there's a lot we could talk about and speculate on, but this is clear what's going on. They're gonna gather together to come prepare for war. Joel 3, 9, down three eleven. read that. There's a proclamation sent out to them, gather together to war. Get your weapons, let's fight against God. And the world is gonna be greatly united in this time against God. And whenever men unite together against God, bad things happen. Go read about the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 when they said, you know, we're gonna make a city and a name great for us. Didn't work out well for them. Now, real quickly here, and I don't got a lot of time to talk about this, but just the thought that I've had and and. I might even need to save this for next week, but I'm gonna jump into it right now. We know that, again, this world's headed for a one-world economy, a one-world religion, um, and and a a one-world government. 
That seems many things are happening, setting things up for that right now. But I don't see that fully happening really fully, it seems, until the second part of the tribulation. It will, it's definitely, we're headed towards that. And the first half, there's a treaty. But it's interesting, just I've been thinking about world events, things going on. And, and I'll just go through this really quick. In Revelation 6, when the Antichrist goes forth, he goes forth and he has to conquer now, we know he conquers with a covenant, but it shows there's disunity in the world. And then it's interesting in Revelation 13, when they see the miracle, the lying wonder of the beast having a wound, and it's seeming like he's, it says it seems that he's resurrected. It seems as if he comes back to life. It says, then the world goes after him. And then that's when the mark of beast comes in this world mark that's needed. And then next, or down the road soon here in Revelation 17, which I think it's referring back to perhaps the midway of the tribulation, some of this. He says, the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. And so it seems that in the tribulation is when finally all this comes together. I think the devil's trying to push it today, but it's just interesting right now. And I don't know fully everything that's going on in Russia and Ukraine, you know, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of thoughts, but it does seem, maybe these guys are all working in cahoots or something, I don't know, but it does seem like there's a big disconnect coming right now between the East and the West. And listen, there's a lot of, you know, our, our country admitted we have biolabs over there, and when Ukraine wants to join the UN, which is part of the West, think back to the 60s when Russia wanted to set up missiles in Cuba, <laughs> And we're like, no, that's not going to happen. So you got to look at this from the bigger picture. I'm not saying Putin's a great guy or anything. And look at the, the guy from Ukraine. I'll just say this. If there was ever a puppet president, it's that guy. I'll, I'll just say that. And if you're thinking he's some righteous character, I'm not talking about Ukrainian people or Russian people. Please go watch his comedy. He's an actor. It is, it is as gross and wicked as anything you're going to see. Dude walking around in stilettos promoting homosexuality nonstop. So get a full picture in all this. I don't know what's all going on, but again, it seems there's a lot of talk of those nations wanting to go back to the gold standard and wanting to collapse the West. It doesn't seem like unity on, you know, on, on the surface. And again, you see how the West would say, hey, we want to go into Ukraine because we want to intimidate Russia. Just a thought out there. I know in this time, though, I know it's headed towards it. I know these, most of these kings have one thing in common. They're godless. They're God-haters promoters of self and the perfect antichrist is going to come along and bring them all together and it says it's going to be for the great day of god why because god's going to have victory and have triumph over them in that day verse 15 in the midst of this and maybe we'll come back to this next week jesus interjects in the midst of all of this because listen you read this and consider it it can shake you up right this is you know you, you, you've read through this chapter you've seen all these bowls of wrath and so forth and jesus interjects here and he says, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed. Look at the people during all this. I don't see any blessings on any of them. Being scorched by the sun doesn't sound like a blessing. Having all the seas turning, you know, blood, uh, blood it, that's not a blessing. He says, you want to be blessed? I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So it's the Lord saying, I am coming soon. Look, at a thief doesn't tell you when they're coming. 
A thief comes oftentimes when you least expect it. He comes and generally he's not seen. If it's a good thief, and if Jesus says I'm a thief, I would say if he was a thief, he'd be a good thief. Though he's not a thief, but he'll be a thief and then he's going to thief us out of this world. He's going to take captivity here and he's going to lead it captive. Because in many ways we're in captivity here. It's going to be very much like, you know what, when he rose from the grave and took captivity captive those in Abraham's bosom. And he's coming like a thief. He's coming soon. And so he says, if you want to be blessed, and I heard you earlier say you're pro-blessing, we want to be watchful. We want to have oil in our lamp and keep it burning. This is not a time to bury gifts to go about our own business. This is a time to be about the business of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be looking to the Lord, to tune out scoffers. And boy, there are many scoffers in the world. There's many scoffers in the church Many people mocking the coming of the Lord. I've dealt with pastors recently mocking the coming of Jesus Christ and not just in private conversation, publicly on social media. I'm like, dude, what? you're a pastor of a church? You're not stirring your people up about the coming of Jesus? Because here's the thing. If I live to be 100 and Christ hasn't come back, I want to live every day from 52 to 100 expecting Jesus to come every single day because there's blessing found in it. There's blessing found in that. A faithful watchman, Lord, I'm looking for you and I'm about your business as a result of it. Jesus talks about this over and over again. Blessed is that servant who his master finds him doing and watching when he returns. But the wicked servant says, he starts with this, my master delays his coming and then he begins to beat his fellow servants. And really, if you say my master's delaying his coming and you're promoting it, you're beating your fellow servants in that. You're not edifying them or building them up. You're tearing them down and you're doing it in the name of Jesus. And boy, that's, that's showing no fear of God whatsoever. But blessed is he who watches. Again, this would speak of watching our walk, our eyes on the Lord. We're clothed with the garment of Christ. Again, he talks about nakedness here, and this would be, you know, sin. You know, Adam tried to cover his sin, right, with fig leaves. Our sin's covered by the robe of Christ, the blood of Jesus, and then walking daily clothed in righteousness, clothed with Christ, walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's, let's keep our garments, amen? Let's watch our walk. Let's make sure, again, we're moving with a fear of God that we're ashamed of sin, Versus a world that celebrates sin and promotes sin and is unashamed of sin. And we talked about it so many times. That always brings judgment on a culture. They get to the point where they're not ashamed of sin. They parade it. They celebrate it. Judgment's coming next. In fact, there's judgment on this country already, already happening. I mean, when, when, again, when in preschool, they're telling little boys they can be little girls. That's a judgment. Because that's, that's, that's going to destroy this country it already is destroying it. Think out in 30 years what it's going to look like. When like a third or a quarter or a third of the teenagers right now are confused, what gender are you? I don't know. I don't know what gender I am. That, th those are legitimate surveys. That's a judgment there. Young men need to know their men and young women need to know their women and they need to flourish in that because that's the way God made them and a promotion of anything else is wicked and satanic. Do not take part in with any of it whatsoever. And if you have been, repent of it. Repent. You have a, that you're not keeping your garment in that. And then finally, he says, and they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. 
also called the Valley of Jezreel. Listen, more wars have been fought there than anywhere else in the world. It literally is where, where Europe, uh, Asia, and Africa meet. Again, more wars fought there anywhere in the history. Napoleon said it's the most natural battlefield on the whole earth. Did anyone know that being Napoleon? 14 miles wide, 20 miles long. Some have suggested it's the perfect place well, as, as well for short-range missiles to strike against Jerusalem. Because we know, again, this is coming against God. It's also coming against Jerusalem where though the Jews flee, at some point some of the Jews go back to Jerusalem somehow because they're gathered there against Jerusalem as well all the way down to Basra, which is the gateway to the rock city of Petra, which we don't have time. We've talked about it before. But he's gathering them together. And again, they're gonna battle against God. Another name for this is Megiddo, which means place of troops, place of slaughter. And it, indeed it will be. Read this to you guys. Very well written here that kind of brings together this whole battle that you know is coming together as the Euphrates River dries up. But I've mentioned these three places. But I came across this. I don't know who wrote it, but I think it's well written. It says the battle of Armageddon is mentioned only once in the book. Uh, is mentioned only once in the book of Revelation, sixteen, uh, twelve through sixteen. But it's described three other times, and those are listed there for a total of four times. It will cover an area of sixteen hundred furlongs, approximately two hundred miles. Because remember, he says the blood will be as high as the bridle for sixteen hundred furlong for. for Furlongs, I'll get out here. Uh, it will be fought in Megiddo, uh, Zechariah twelve eleven, a flat plain in the valley of Estronalon, also in, called the Valley of Jezreel. It's 20 miles long, 14 miles wide, lowland area, northern Israel. And every time, if, if we tour Israel, we'll go right to this place. It's phenomenal. It's near Mount Carmel and the town of Nazareth. In fact, you go up on Mark, uh, Mount Carmel, you look over Armageddon uh, from Nazareth, you can look over it as well. It says, the battle will extend south to the valley of Jehoshaphat, Joel 3, 1, 2, and verse 12, a valley between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives, also known as the Kindron Valley. And again, right there. And it will extend to Basra, the city of Edom, uh, Isaiah 63, 1 through 6, east of the Jordan River near Petra, the capital of Edom, which is part of modern-day Jordan. And we know Jordan and the Antich Jordan does not enter into covenant with the Antichrist. We talked about that earlier. The cities of Basra and Petra will play an important role in the second coming of Christ. So, Heavenly Father, we just praise you and give you glory. We thank you for your word. Thank you that you're so good to us, God. Thank you for this night to gather together, God. And I hope and pray, God, that, Lord, hearts have been stirred. I hope and pray, God, that we've been exhorted, God, to be watchful, Lord, to God be looking for your coming for your church, God, because you are coming like a thief for us. Lord, to as well, God, to be a prayerful people and to be a people, God. I, I hope as we look at this and we do rejoice in, in your righteous judgments, but I pray our hearts would be stirred to get the gospel out because people need Jesus and you've called us to work while it's day because the night's coming when work's gonna cease. So God, again, give us strength, endurance. Lord, there's a lot of people getting burned out in this world. A lot of people 
you know, making a lot of bad decisions and saying, I don't have the strength to go on. Well, Lord, you are God, you are our strength, our refuge, and our strong tower. And Lord, I want to pray for everyone here tonight, people watching online, that you'd strengthen us right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? And listen, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, we're sinners. That sin separates us from God. Jesus Christ, he atoned for our sins at the cross where he paid the penalty of them. He took the wrath due us upon himself. The wages of our sin is death. Christ died for us. He rose from the grave though and defeated death. And when you call out on his name, you ask him for forgiveness. You ask him to be your Lord. It means I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to put my faith in Jesus. He'll forgive you, wash you, fill you with the spirit of God, seal you with the spirit, and absolutely he'll begin a new work in you and he'll he will complete that work in you. So I encourage you if you don't know the Lord to cry out to him. If you've drifted, listen tonight, come back to him in your walk. Come back to a strong walk with the Lord. Beautifully, we could be a million miles away. That's ugly, but beautifully, it's one step to Jesus. He says, submit, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Bless the rest of our time here tonight. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.